first our first take. Now, this uh, this first portion is uh, is I think very important, and it's a lot more important than, than people give credit for. So I'm going to open us up uh, with a blessing before studying the Torah. Um, which I'm sure somebody's got for me handy that I can read, or someone can read. Who can read that? My goodbye, my son. It's on page 17. Your sitter, son. What sitter? Yes, I've got it. And maybe page 10. I thought it was 17. It is. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe who has sanctified us with His commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of Your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of Your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of Your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know Your name and study Your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are You, Adonai, who teaches Torah to His people Israel. Blessed are You, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave us His Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Excuse my back. The world is being inundated with bad science, bad theology, and the understanding is being taught to our children in the government schools that they are a mistake of nature that they are an accident of probability and that some pond scum has actually become some type of primordial life that then became a beautiful woman. How does that happen? Can I get some of that primordial scum for the you know for the backyard? That would be great to have just girls popping up all over the place. (laughs) Evidently that doesn't work anywhere except in fairy tale books and in the history and biology books that our government is using to teach our kids. Now, I'm not on a rant against our government. Love our government. Actually, I love our country. Probably maybe a little bit better than I love our government right now. (laughs) But uh, I would bring to your attention the separation story. That's really what you should call it. It's not just the creation, but it's how he created and he separated. I bring your attention to chapter 1 and verse 6. Bereshit, God said, let the firmament materialize between the waters and let it separate between the upper waters and the lower waters. God made the firmament fixed in its position. He separated between the waters that were below the firmament and the waters that were above the firmament (coughs) by suspending the upper waters in midair. And it remained that way. God called the firmament sky. It became evening and it became morning a second day. Now the thing is, if you don't believe this is an account of history, and you believe that it's a story, it will affect your theology all the way down to our Master Himself. These verses, 6-8, through eight, teach us that there was water above the earth. Now I would like you to consider going to a website to learn about the flood which we're going to be reading about next week, and you won't be here. But this verse substantiates where a lot of that water came from. We read in the flood that the, the deep cracked open and water came spewing out. But it also says that water came from above. It rained for the very first time. That water is the water you just read about right here. 
There is a theory by uh, Hovind, Kent Hovind, that teaches that there, this canopy of water suspended over the planet, or around it, if you will, think of the planet, surrounded by this canopy of water, allowed for the high pressurization of the air that man was breathing. And this allowed man to live a lot longer than he did after the flood. Now, I don't want to go through the details. I'll let everybody talk in a second. But I just wanted to share with you that when this canopy busted, a heck of a lot of water came down on the planet that hadn't been there before, number one. Number two, that canopy is now broken, and the pressure is released, and now we live in this kind of an atmosphere, and therefore can't live as long. We see that most of the professional um, athletic teams are using hyperbaric chambers where they can put damaged players under pressure and they heal amazingly quickly you can actually pay real American dollars today to get into some hyperbaric chamber even if you're well just because when you come out you feel like Superman unbelievable the effects of high pressure on the body now if you don't believe that this actually happened then you're going to start to question where all the water came from for the flood you're going to question whether there really was a disobedience that caused a curse on the man, a curse on the woman, a curse on the serpent, and a curse on the land. Because you won't know anything about that, because you don't know, because you don't believe. So, it's critical, it's important. I want to encourage you to study that. I've, I've got references for you, and I'll put it out. Uh, on uh, Bellator, the Minotaur sites that you can you can click some of those links. I have a DVD set. If you want to borrow uh, pieces of it at a time, extraordinary. I've made my sit my kids sit through all of it, and you know what? One or two of them have actually thanked me over time <laughs> for seeing it. So, other is it? Uh, What's the name of the DVD? Um, it's uh, The Creation Story uh, by Dr. Kent Hovind. And uh, what's the name of the website? Dr. Dino. DrDino.com. Dr. D-I-N-O. DrDino.com. Is it .com or another word? I think it's .com. Okay. All right. Comments on the creation story as a whole or anything like that? Good. I just want to take a bit that's interesting is, is the fact that we had this canopy of water around the earth, that there was a subtropical climate from pole to pole, we didn't have the north and south pole of the Arctic. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. And that canopy would have filtered out even more of the ultraviolet rays, so you didn't have the aging yes. which contributed to the long life. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so, so there's, there's a lot of credibility there, and it speaks to a lot. Um, Dinosaurs. If you don't understand the creation story, then you may actually believe when you walk into some of these museums that this is four million years old. That this dinosaur was actually bigger than most of the buildings we have on the planet today. The average size of a dinosaur, just so you know, is about the size of your fist. I'll say it again. The average size of a dinosaur is about the size of your fist. That's average. There's a lot of small ones. There's a couple of big ones, but they weren't that big. But dinosaurs are mentioned in the Bible. And we read about in the newspaper, oh my goodness, look at this, prehistoric footprints. 
Oops. Become messy. Unbelievable. I want you to know, you've heard it right here in River City, dinosaurs were with man. It wasn't like it was beforehand and they were beating them off with sticks and clubs and stuff like that. <laughs> there weren't cavemen. There was Adam and Chava. And they populated the earth and there were dinosaurs. You should not have a problem with that. You can read all about some specific dinosaurs in what book? Job. Job has the incredible... Um, Uh, happenstance that it is the considered to be the oldest book of the Bible. And it's talking about some old stuff. So we have all kinds of dinosaurs there. And the scriptures work with the timeline that we've discussed. God's people have been saying that the world is about just shy of 6,000 years old. 5772. Give or take a couple years, I don't care but it's about 6,000 years old. It's not 6 million years old. And he did not create a planet, populated with other stuff, and then come along and do you know, uh, guys and gals later. That's not what it says. That's not what happened. Yes, sir? Uh, in support of that, Genesis 3 tells us that sin entered the world through death. And, and Paul reaffirms this in the book of Romans. Uh, excuse me. Death entered the world through sin. And prior, uh, evolution demands death. Prior to uh, the fall. Uh, not just evolution, uh, all of science demands death to explain human existence and creation itself. The Bible's very clear. There was no death. Which means that there wasn't an opportunity for animals to try and get it right by dying off over millions of years or whatever else. The notion of carbon-14 dating is founded upon the concept that Carbon life forms absorb radiation from the from from the cosmos over the period of the time that they're alive, and and we're being told by science where they can date rocks by carbon fourteen. They're lying if they know it, because carbon fourteen only can determine how long something has been dead. Right. Uh, but it only can determine how so long something has been dead as long as it's been exposed to radiation. Something that's buried for a long time does not give accurate carbon-14 dating, which is exactly why scientists actually have to compensate for how deep it was buried whenever they do their examinations. And, and if you're going to do that on a rock, I mean, the bottom line is it will only tell you how long it's been <coughs> dead, implying that it had to be alive. So for rocks, that doesn't work. That's a good point. Yes? Pre-emphasizing the idea of God's role as creator, the sages actually take it... Um, even an extra step in this first chapter, and they say that they look at verse 2 when it says that darkness is upon the face of the deep, deep. And the commentary says this is not merely the absence of light, but a specific creation. As is clearly stated in Isaiah 45 7, he who forms the light and creates darkness. The idea that everything, as it says we see in the Epistolic writings, everything is created at the will of God. Mm -hmm. We also see that darkness in the, in the Exodus. Mm -hmm. They uh, just uh, another comment. You know, I know the intent here is not to get into a, you know, a big scientific explanation of the scriptures, but this, but it, whole, but this it, whole concept. I think is, it's important that we not shy away from it. Sure, right. And, and try and complain that our faith does not allow us to stand toe to toe with the scientists. Mm. Right. Yes. You know. So 
you know, Rick just just commented about carbon fourteen dating as it pertains to trying to trying to understand the age of geological structures here on the planet. You have the other aspect of when we look out in space, we say the sun is eight and a half light minutes away. This star is, you know, this many light years away. The Milky Way is a hundred million light years across, right? And and as best as we can tell with the science and the technology we have, that's true. Well, if that's true, then how can we have a six thousand year history according to the Bible? And let me let me let me encourage you. Um, there is a uh, there is a gentleman, uh, Doctor uh, Russell Humphreys, or maybe it's Robert Humphreys, Russell or Robert Humphreys, who is a he's a PhD astrophysicist, blah 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 blah. Um, he is now um, now uh, he's been on staff for years now with the Institute for Creation Research. Mm. He has uh, a book that I would encourage anybody who's interested in understanding how this reconciles to scripture um, he has a book called Starlight and Time uh, where he uh, pro- where he proposes a, a theory that uses all of the common um, theories that are widely accepted in, in all corners of secular the secular scientific community and namely uh, Einstein's theory of general relativity okay and he explains uh, he explains very succinctly how you can have a 6,000 year history according to the Bible and yet still have millions of light years across the you know, across the universe mm-hmm. uh, and he's, he takes the book and he divides it into three parts the first part is a is a layman's Explanation. So you don't have to be big into uh, you don't have to be a scientist. You don't have to be heavy math or whatever. He does a very good job just explaining it in layman's terms. The second part of the book is he then focuses on the scriptural support for for this this explanation, and then the third part of the book is a you know the propeller head you know explanation. So if you're really into the math and the science and the formulas or whatever, he, he he the third part of the book is for the for that those people. It's a great book. It's good read. I would recommend it if you're interested in understanding how that. Great. What was the author's name again? Uh, uh, Rob, I think it's Robert or Russell Humphreys, uh, and the book is Starlight in Time. We'll get uh, all the references that are being named, and we'll post all of those for you. Yes, ma'am. Okay, Leviathan. Yes. Is that the term you're? That's one of them. Speaking of, is there another one? Yeah, there is. Okay. Behemoth. 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 Both are kosher. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the sages say that in. I don't know if it's the world to come or is it in, uh, in the world to come. Leviathan is going to be uh, cut open, gutted, and his skin will be used as a sukkah. <laughs> cool. Actually, Leviathan is, is I mean, not too far off topic. There's a lot of very cool spiritual implications as well as far as linking up Leviathan with um, the dragon that you kind of see in, yeah. in yeah. Revelation of the Titans. <laughs> Got fish and scales. Yeah, it seems to be somewhat. Fins and scales. Huh. No. That's the script. Is that in Psalms? That's in Psalms. Psalms and Job. That's what I was saying. Psalms and Job. Leviathan is a fish. Oh, senor. Less scientific, more esoteric. Yes, I love that. 
It's, it's almost mystical. Here we go. I think it's called yeah, the canopy effect, the, the hoopa of water. That's right. So, so in the beginning, the hoopa of water. Are yes. under a hoopa, right? I love it. And then, and this is cool because there's the unity, but we blew it. Yeah. And then you have, you know, fast forward, and then we're under another photo. This time it's a fire, and it's on the mountain, right? And there we are again, the second marriage, but we blew it again. And the next hupa is going to be with Mashiach, and that's during Sukkot as well. So, so you have the, the progression of, and actually, Russia is a cool play on the words of, uh, of, of uh, heaven, Shemayim can mean different things, and he actually says it could mean fire and water, is, is the way he puts it, so we have fire and water, the first two times we, we, we blow it, but the second time, we're under the whole time. I like it, I like it, yes. Uh, going back to the original thing, of where do we see Mashiach? Of course, the answer's all over, right? But uh, if somebody asks you, well, where do we see Messiah, and where does Messiah show up first in the Scripture, our answer should be unequivocally, unequivocally Genesis 1-1. Yep. And we see that in the Hebrew, um, where we have seven words, Bereshit Barah, Elohim, Et, Hashemayim, Vet, And And uh, the fourth the fourth word there is the is the word et aleph tav, which is shorthand for Mashiach. Uh, and there's a cool drosh that because we've got seven words in verse one of Bereshit, there's what's some refer to as a menorah pattern, right? Because you've got seven, and the et, of course, being the center, which is Messiah. Um, and then the next time et shows up is is uh, between the uh, fifth and sixth, I'm sorry, between the uh, sixth and seventh seventh, uh, word, and and so you actually have in Genesis 1-1, you actually have an allusion to both the first and second coming of the Messiah. He came the first time um, on the fourth day, because we're told twice in Scripture that a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So Genesis 1-1, as well as the seven days of creation, are a blueprint for the 7,000 years of history of, of, of mankind on the earth. Let me jump in real quick. Yes. Adam, 1,000 years. Noah. Noah, 1,000 years. Abraham, 1,000 years. David. And the 4,000 years Messiah. So the 4,000 year, the fourth day, the fourth word of Genesis 1-1 is et, Mashiach. He came on the fourth day and then 5,000, 6,000, and then right at the end of the sixth day and beginning the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, he will come again. And we see that there in the text with the second appearance of Et. So Messiah is right there in Genesis 1 1. How cool is that? Yes. How cool is that? Yes. Sir. Another place is where we see Bereshit uh, uh, Rabbah says, it talks about, and God hovered over the face of the deep. And the, the notion if you have a, a Gudnik, it says the glory of God hovered, or the chariot of God hovered. And it's, the, the notion of the chariot of God is, is a, um, it's a, it's a mystical concept that puts uh, God in the physical realm. 
And that's why it's forbidden to speak of the chariot of God, the sages throughout. Uh, actually, in the second century, they were like, they never talked about it. It was like totally secret. This is something we don't talk about. The Merkabah, the chariot. We all know what it is, but don't mention it. And it's because it becomes the representation of God, in the, it, not the representation, the conveyor of God in the physical world that can be seen as we see in, in, in the book of Ezekiel. So in, the, in your Gutnik Kumash, it says the chariot, or the glory, the throne of God, is what hovered over the deep. But it's Bereshit, Bereshit uh, Rabbah, the, the Midrash, uh, uh, where it actually says that it was the spirit of Mashiach. Yeah. So it ties the Mashiach, I mean, in my Gutnik, it ties the Mashiach, Messiah, into the physical conveyance of Hashem in this world. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the apostolic t- scriptures teach us exactly the same thing, that the agent of creation, the one who actually did the creating, was Messiah. It was Amen. Yeshua himself. And even now, he holds it all together by the power of his will. Amen? Amen. That's exactly what I was going to uh, reference, the apostolic writings, uh, that it says that he is, the, that Mashiach is the beginning of the creation of God and the firstborn of every creature. There it is. Washes. Amen. Yes. One, this is actually kind of cool, but the, the reason why the Torah begins with the faith and not an Allah, like, why this would be like a letter B and not letter A, why is the A God that should be first? If A is a, is a symbol of an ox, in that wall, sorry. If an olive looks like an ox, the actual Hebrew letter, and um, ox connection to heifer, connection to the only thing that purifies you really from death, and Mashiach was slain from the foundation of the world, then that's why it's gone, because it had to be, it was used ever since the beginning oh, for death. Cool, cool. I like that. You got no olive when it all started. That's right. <laughs> uh, the set, the the you know the six days when you when you go through and read the account, there's there's an interesting there's an interesting parallel to the history uh, that has unfolded uh, over the last six thousand years, uh, and, it, and it, it there's a parallel there to each of the days. So, for example, in the first day, he separated light and darkness. Well, in that first thousand years, the 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 primary event that occurs is the fall of man. So, and man was separated because of his fall. Sin enters the world, darkness. He's separated uh, from the garden with the cherubim and, and everything that's holy. So, there's we see we see this connection there. The second day, um, he separates the waters, and you just read, of course. In the second day, the second thousand years of history, human history, the primary event, the watershed event, <laughs> of course, is the flood. Right. The third, the third day, it says he he brought forth vegetation and and fruit trees in 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 seed, and that is a picture of because in that third millennia is when Abraham comes on the scene. And and then you know Isaac and Jacob and then Israel is born as a nation, and they're the you know the, you see the fruitfulness of Abraham, and you see uh, the Israel the planting of Adonai. So there's just an illusion there. And the righteous trees. And the righteous trees. The fourth day he places the luminaries in the in the sky for signs and seasons. The fourth millennia of history was primarily. 
denoted with the prophets of Israel, uh, uh, culminating, of course, with Messiah himself, the the you know, the prophet, um, the light of the world, and, and the light of the world. So you see that parallel. The fifth day of creation is when he brings forth the. The um, the fish it says the, the the seas were teeming with fish and and the 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 heavens with the flocks of various birds so it's 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 talking about um, you know multiplication and expansion and you you see in the first thousand years of common era common era you see man you know continually to continuing to spread out and empires and all this all this type of thing the sixth day he creates man and he tells man to subdue the earth and in the last thousand years and even actually particularly the last 200 years have we not seen mankind subdue the earth like never before I mean with our the technology the science the knowledge and, and everything uh, so you see a, a, an interesting parallel to the six days with this with this history excellent so. excellent turn in the scriptures if you would to <coughs> chapter 1 and verse 20 God said, let the waters produce swarms of living creatures and let birds fly over the earth across the firmament of the skies. God created the large sea fish, all the creeping living creatures that the waters produce in swarms according to their species and all the winged birds according to their species. God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the seas and let the birds multiply upon the earth. It became evening and became morning a fifth day. And I would... Uh, Bring you back to the third day that uh, Greg just mentioned in one nine. God said that the water that is below the skies gather into one location, let the dry land appear, and that is what happened. God called the dry land earth, and he called the gathering of the water seas. God saw that the work of the uh, second and the third days was good. God said, let the earth be covered with vegetation, plants that reproduce by seed, and trees, fruit, which produce fruit by their own species, containing their own seed, and so on. God did not create seeds that then grew into trees. God created trees. Hmm. He didn't create... He made the chicken before the egg. He made the chicken before the egg. Thank you, Pete. You know, with all the fish. The fish are swimming. These are fish that were never born. If you take one of those fish out of the water, you are looking at a fish that has the appearance of age. He didn't create a baby that grew into Adam. He created a man. Mm. This guy's seconds old, but he has the appearance of age. You know, if my God can do that, I don't have any problem with him taking a light beam that's pretty long and hanging it in the sky. That thing's 400 light years away. It would take the light 400 years to get here. So he hangs a beam there and gives it also the appearance of age. Guys, we are in a relationship with the one who created this whole place. The book of Romans makes it clear. There is nothing that brings him glory like the heavens and the earth. They shout, they declare, the heavens do, the glory of God. It's unbelievable, and we should recognize that. Pete, you, then Joshua, then John. I was just going to 
I was thinking about what Mr. Upton said, and I was thinking that the fifth day is really where Christianity started um, and teamed. And I mean, it's ironic that the Christian symbol at the time was the um, show fish. Because, yeah, the fifth day, I think, was sort of killed with Christians, because that's sort of when that Christian started. Very good, very good. Yes, yes. Just thinking of one of the things we've been talking a lot about the creation story and con- contrasting that with mankind that keeps wanting to deny what's in this part of the scriptures. Um, oftentimes, I think one of the tragedies is that when, when mankind tries to read this passage and look for things that are that are and they imagine an error, they actually are missing deep truths that God has hidden there. One of the things that comes up a lot if you study the scriptures from a secular perspective is they like to complain about the fact that God's name changes. Mm-hmm. And in chapter 1, it's Elohim, and then in chapter 2, it's Adonai, and why is it changing? And you know, obviously written by two different people, I mean, three different people, four different people, you know, who knows? Um, <laughs> you know, and, but the, the sages' explanation of it is beautiful. The sages look at it and they say um, that the name Elohim denotes God in his attribute of justice. He's ruler, he's lawgiver, he's judge of the world. And so they see, like, the first chapter, you see this sort of majestic presentation of God as, as God. Yeah. But then it follows up, and uh, the sages then follow up by saying, however, because man is not virtuous enough to survive the harsh scrutiny of God being the judge of the world, God added his attribute of mercy, just embodying his name Adonai, to the story of creation so that judgment would be tempered with mercy. And that's chapter 2. And if you actually think about the accounts, the accounts bear this out. Chapter 1 is this very majestic, broad God creating out of nothing. He speaks and it's there. Chapter 2 is this intimate, you know, I'm going to make man out of the dust. I'm going to fashion him. I'm going to place him here. I want to give him these responsibilities. So again, we see that, that when we study the scriptures, we need to approach it with how can I see my God more? And actually, if we do that, then instead of thinking about, well, how do I understand it necessarily in my human mind, we can actually come to know God better by, by taking his scriptures themselves. Add word for word. Yes. Uh, to, to bounce off of that, one of the great things I read this week was that um, Ramban discusses why the Torah uses the name Elohim there. And it talks about how it that name indicates master of all powers, and you know, being that he can bring forth stuff from nothing, and then um, it's he goes expounds on it how it's sort of a, a compound word from El and Tem, you know, which is like more like power of them. So literally, sort of power of them or power over all powers. Mm. And and so it's, it's a lot of power. I, exactly. So I, I, just, in the, uh, I just thought it was pretty incredible. In the Latin, this is called ex nihilo. Creation ex nihilo. From nothing. Okay? From nothing. And just to uh, finish the thought earlier, that, that kind of wraps up with um, you know all, the, all of our minds and, and everyone on earth, we're trying to explain... You know, the, we're trying to try and wrap our brains around and explain with mathematical formulas and everything. Mm-hmm. But God wrote the laws of physics yes. as well. Sure. So I mean, it's, it's uh, just just another you know another connection to the Messiah. And this is something we've talked about in our Zadik class. But you know, we see in verse uh, three uh, three through five is where he he. Um, separates light from day. But how do we have light if we didn't have the luminaries until day four? Good point. Mm -hmm. Well, so 
the, the Chazal, again, have a explanation that Yeshua himself uh, basically uh, corroborated. They, they say that the light, and Rick, Rick referred to it from Genesis Rabbah, that, that that light is the light of the Mashiach, the light of the Messiah. And they have a word for that in in uh, in Judaism. It's called Or Haolam, light of the world. What is that? Or Haolam. Or Haolam, light of the world. And of course, we see in in the Gospels, um, in the Book of John, um, where Yeshua says, "I am Or Haolam." So. They would have. I mean, his audience knew exactly what he was saying. I am the light that was there before the luminaries showed up. So again, that's a connection to the Messiah. Yeah, I think the book is it the book of John that begins and says that the people were in great darkness, and a light shined upon them. It's the light of Messiah. Joshua, did you have something? Well, cool. going along with the light. Yes, I was in First Yochanan one. What was from the beginning that we have heard, that we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was the, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Yeshua the Messiah. These things we write so that your joy may be complete. This is a message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Amen. Amen. Just, uh, there, there's, there, at times we seem apologetic almost to try and explain things scientifically when we read the book of Genesis. I don't think we should. I think that it doesn't have to be explained scientifically as in human terms, but I don't think we should shy away from it. If you have a, if you have a good name, actually there's a great thing in here where it talks about the orbit of the celestial bodies, quoting the Rebbe, uh, 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 Schneerson, uh, in specific using uh, Einstein's theory of relativity. Uh, and, and he doesn't shy at all. Very brilliant man. Always, I mean, he was a very brilliant man. Uses it to explain precisely uh, how it is that the celestial bodies orbited. Uh, and, and I'm reminded as well uh, in, in, the, in the 12th century, uh, um, uh, Yehuda HaLevi wrote uh, Kuzari, the, the apologetics for Judaism uh, to the king of the Kazakhs. And, uh, or it's about the, an account with the king of the Kazakhs. And in it, he describes details of scientific theory when when Christ, when the Christian church was putting people to death for saying so that the world wasn't flat 500 years earlier you know Jews were declaring and describing the accurate uh, uh, orbit of of the planets and the sun Unbelievable. Uh, so I mean the, the notion that the notion that science and the Bible are somehow uh, separate is something that's being forced upon us by others, not us. Yeah, and I tell you what, if you just look at, uh, I think even this, just the Psalms talks about him inscribing as in a circle the deep. Well, you know, it is a round spherical planet, yes. I was just still working on what Mr. Upham said about it. Um, we'll be doing that till Tuesday. Well, not. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good thing. But um, this, the, the, the light of the world and how it was there before the luminary, that's pretty interesting because, firstly, that 
it's, it's incomprehensible to have light without another source. Um, just to have light doesn't make any sense because it has to be coming from somewhere. But that just harkens back to Revelation where the sun, the luminaries will be gone, but then it'll go back to just how it was in the very beginning where the light is just... Outstanding. Outstanding. Excellent. Why? What is the primary purpose of those luminaries created on day four, if you'll turn with me to verse 14. Seasons God said the luminaries shall be positioned in the firmament of the skies to separate between the day and the night. They will serve as omens or signs ot, for the festivals, the days and the years. And they will also act as luminaries in the firmament of the skies to shed light upon the earth. And that is what happened. They are signs they're signposts. They're to be seen. Both the sun and the moon. And we get our calendar from that. That's where God said to get it. The, the suns. Uh, I mean, in the Gutnik, actually. Is there anybody who has a Gutnik besides Jeremiah, me, and him? Okay. So for those of you who don't have the Gutnik, you're welcome to come up and look at mine. Uh, I've got the whole deal. And Josh, uh, Jeremiah has the whole deal. And... Uh, uh, What's your name? Rick has uh, Rick has just the single volumes, uh, so you can see the big ones and the small ones. But um, it, it is pretty impressive that um, in the text here, it, it adds in some of these things in in parentheses to help you understand where they believe it's coming from. So it's commentary built into the text. And, you know, sometimes it's it's unbelievably way out in left field. And then a couple of years later, you realize that they were right on the money, and you were the one that was way out in left field. And then other times, it's just way out in left field, and, it, you know, years later, it's still way out in left field. But it is uh, it is a tremendous uh, It does thing. combine uh, stuff from the first and second century, the Targumim, and actually the comments uh, the, in the text, it puts... Uh, in parentheses, things from the Targumim, which is highly messianic. Yeah, I mean, uh, just as an example of that, um, Jacob wrestled with a man all night long. When the sun is about to come up, he said, let go of me. I won't let go of you until I, until you tell me your name. Well, why do you want to know my name? It's, it's wonderful. He touches the hip, puts it out of socket, and all of that. Jacob later says that he wrestled with God, and he named the place Peniel, face of God. Mm. Well, the uh, prophet Habakkuk, he said that uh, he wrestled with God there. But the Targum says, I think it's Yonatan, said that he wrestled with yod heh vav Wait a minute. Yonevave can act like a man and be grabbed, wrestled with, and pulled down to the. That's amazing. That's the kind of stuff that gets added in from this stuff, and it's really very cool. Yes, sir, you're first. Um, one thing, now you mentioned Gutnik, something I saw very interesting. I want to share with everyone yeah. else. Yeah, this is for This is for no one else in the room, because no one else has one in the desert. But uh-huh. something interesting that Rashi talks about, um, poses the question, why does the Torah begin with the creation of the world? So as Rashi says, Rabbi Yitzchak said, Surely the Torah should have begun with, from the words, This month shall be for you, which is from Exodus 12, uh, 2. 
the first commandment which the Jewish people were given. Why does it begin with in the beginning? The reason is conveyed by the verse. He declared to his people the power of his works in order to give them the inheritance of the nations. It's from Psalms 11, uh, 111.6. I.e., if the nations of the world will say to the Jewish people, you are robbers, you have seized the land of the seven nations who inhabited Canaan, they will reply, the whole earth belongs to God. He created it and granted it to whoever was deemed fit in his eyes. It was his will that they should have it. And by his will, he took it from them and gave it to us. Amen. Amen. A couple things with regards to. I can't hear her. Can you hear her, Christine? I have trouble. Speak up, Lord. <laughs> so, with regards to um, the, the the stars as signs. Yes. I think of Messiah again and the sign that the um, wise men saw. Absolutely. And they came to see him and. If you think about the stars and the movement of the stars, that the light does travel, and um, I would probably agree with you that God hung the light beams, but today still, that light is still traveling. Absolutely. So, really, if you think about it kind of in a, in a metaphysical way, the story of the earth is already written in the stars. Uh, in a way, it's already kind of happened. Because it's long before us. Yes. That's really mystical. I like that better than metaphysical. Yeah. It's well, cool. but the thing is with that then, is you think about the star that was the sign of Messiah, and God had orchestrated that. Long time ago. Long time ago. Amen. So, I guess good. That's really good. Very good. Uh, yes? I think it's inevitable that we bring up the issue and let us create man in, in, in our uh, image and after our likeness because there's and, uh, there's just so many uh, opinions, and so many buttons that can be pressed when you when you pull that card, depending on who you're talking to. So, are you saying that there's multiple gods, Jonathan? I am not saying. Are you saying that it's just a, uh, a, a royal? Are you saying it's just a royal way of uh, describing God because he's royalty, as in the King James? Let us go. Let us away. Yeah, kind of he's being Jewish. He's not saying anything. I noticed that. <laughs> But uh, it's uh, because Ron Bond says that God's speaking to the earth, and actually this is kind of kind of interesting because God said, you know, let the earth bring forth animals and let the ocean, the, let the waters bring forth fish, so that the, the land and the, and the elements actually were assisted God in creating. Is this kind of His idea? So that when He said, let us make man in our image, because He pulled them out of dirt, He's, he's really saying like the earth, which that almost sounds like little. Native American, like, you know, Mother Earth, Father Sky. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a little blasphemy. Everybody start coming to the earth with the fire. Then you have Rashi, who says that God's just speaking to the heavenly host and to the angels, which that makes even less sense in my mind. And then you have the Kabbalah, I think, which Scott says, or which says God is just speaking to himself. And because he's multifaceted, mm-hmm. he's just like, well, let us make man in our image. And it kind of echoes. Yeah, exactly. So, or is it, is it you know, is the, the fact that he says, in our image, Betsalinu, right? In our, that's uh, our shadow, it could also be like, kind of translated. Sorry. Uh, and after our likeness, that means God, like, he has something that casts a shadow. He has form. How, how do we shadow cast. How, how do we get around I know how we get around that. But how does Judaism get around that? Yeah, that's very good. Very good. Yes? One thing I would say is um, 
know, the Bible reveals about our God that he seeks counsel from no one. That's right. So any interpretation where he's seeking counsel from the creation, just that's not the God of God. Actually, there's a really a different commentary here. On this passage, it says that when Moses wrote the Torah, came to this verse, let us make, which is in the plural and implies that there is more than one creator, he said, Sovereign of the universe, why do you thus furnish a pretext for heretics to maintain that there's a plurality of divinities? And God responds by saying, right, whoever wishes to err will err. <laughs> there There's more commentary with that. That's where I would have to stop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, have you ever thought, why would God go out of his way to say, Adonai Elohim, Adonai Echad, why would he even bother saying that? Unless there were those who said there was more than one. Mm. You know, I have absolutely no problem dealing with folks that want to call Yeshua God. They are his people. I have a real problem when they make him out to be another God. There's not two. And he went out of his way long before he revealed Messiah in the flesh to make it clear that he is one. And yet, he's unity. And if someone uh, wants to take the word Elohim from Genesis 1 and argue, particularly with a, a Jewish person who's knowledgeable, if they want to use that as the premise to make an argument for the Trinity or whatever doctrine, you know... You'll quickly get cut off of the knees, and I've seen it, I've seen it happen yeah. time and time again. And it's, and because you sad. see the word Elohim, Moses is called Elohim in Exodus chapter seven. So, um, so Elohim has multiple uses, and it, and it doesn't always even mean God. Is in, you know, it, it means judge. So the judges of Israel will refer to as Elohim. So you can, you know, if you just point to that and say, "See, it's plural," and therefore that proves a trinity or whatever particular doctrine you're trying to espouse people can take you to lots of other scriptures where that and the same word is used and the, the verbs are in the singular yeah. Yeah. But in this and, one, and they're, 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 they're going to call you a gentile excellent yeah. 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 like yes sir I think it's just really cool if we just look at the result of uh, looking at the uh, plural where it says, let us create man in our image, and then we see that he creates Adam first. Adam is a bearer of the image of God, and then from Adam comes Chava, so we go back to what Johnny was was bringing out, that really Elohim or El uh, um, um, really brings out the meaning of God as a plenitude of might. He's a God that hides himself and reveals his image in a multiplicity. Very nice. Very nice. One interesting thing about this creation aspect of man, God, the word bara, which is like the idea of like traditionally ex nilo, although Arbanel in the commentary also says this can be used in the idea of it being unprecedented, not just created out of nothing, but also like a creation that's never been seen before. Is I think used three different times in the text. Sages talk about once the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But then also with regards to the sea giants, and then with man. So we see that man is unique and significant in his position. But also it's intriguing, I may have missed it somewhere, but it's interesting to me that the phrase, and it was so, EEA can in Hebrew, is used over and over and over again. There are three places it doesn't show up. Um, One is with the sea giants, 
Um, God saw that it was good, that they were there, but this is say, and it was so. Mm. Once is with the creation of light, that says, and there was light, but it doesn't say, and it was so. And then once is with the creation of man. So again, we see this idea that man is unique, man is special, God has made him for a specific purpose. And as we get into chapter 2, I think it's really cool that when God creates Adam and he brings all the animals to him, he says he, he wants to see what he would call them. And the word there is kara, which is the idea of, um, in, in modern Hebrew, it's the idea of calling. It's also how you use for, for name, like you name it by what you call it. God uses the same verb, the same word verbs used for God. It talks about he called to the light day and he called the, to the darkness night. And it's almost this, this parallel here is there where, where God creates Adam and he wants Adam to act in a, in a form of how God acts. He wants Adam to imitate him in that act of creation of naming things right. and so we think about this this is this is a trend and a pattern we'll see for the rest of scripture where god has his actions and his standards and he chooses and creates a people who will imitate him in the world there it is excellent so we move now after you read yes i was just going to say with regards to the whole plurality and everything if you look at verse 26 and it says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, we tend to stop there. And at the end of that little um, portion, verse 27, so, so now we're hearing, so how it was done. Here we have that statement, let us do this. And then, so God created man in his image, not in their image, right. not in it's his image, which is, which is a conclusion. If you then go to Revelation, and it talks about it during the seventh uh, shofar blast sound, um, you know, it says, the kingdom of the world has come, the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Again, you see like the mention of maybe to, but then it's he will reign. And you see that when the Talmudim were sent out, that it says to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But how many names? In the name. And so again, that kind of just takes that there is something mystical, mysterious about yes. how it all is put together. Yes. But at the conclusion of it, there is this single Excellent. one name, Excellent. one God. I like it. God is not a democracy. <laughs> and don't you hate it when they're arguing amongst themselves? Um, chapter chapter two, right after he makes um, Adam uh, and Hava, it says um, it says uh, verse eight, and the, and the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and he placed man in whom he had formed, um, and then it talks about the in the middle of the garden was you know. Um, you know the the tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So you have a, you have a, an allusion there to a to a to a temple or a mishkan because you have a garden, mm-hmm. and then in the middle of the garden, toward the east, or I'm sorry, you have Eden. You have Eden. In Eden, towards the east, he plants a garden, and then he places man. And the tree of life, and you know, in the middle of the garden. So, there's an allusion there to outside. Eden would be the outer courts. The garden is the inner courts. The whole drawing near. And the center of the garden um, is 
the Holy of Holies. I like that. So, which, which is why we call the stone on which, on which the temple is built the foundation stone. Yes. yes. I have a question about that passage where it says Adam was placed in the middle to work as well as to guard the garden. And since the story of, of their children coming into being hadn't taken place yet, mm-hmm. who is he guarding it from? I don't... The commentary well, confused me in that. That word guard in Hebrew, I believe, is shomer. Shomer. Shomer, which which can mean guard as, but it really means just to keep, to to to, to um, maintain it, to take care of it, to be the steward of the garden. Yeah. So. Yes, ma'am. Well, and I never thought of that before. Planted, that he actually planted. I mean, that's an agricultural term. And he obviously chose the best of what he'd created to put there. I mean, be it, you know, as a gardener, a rose gardener, we want specific colors, fragrances, or whatever. He chose the best for us. It wasn't just the briar patch, or, I mean, you know, he chose the best and planted it. I I never saw that. That's good. That's That's, um Let's not skip over chapter 2 and verse 1. The skies, the earth, and all the numerous components were completed on the seventh day. God completed his work that he had made. On the seventh day, he rested from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. And he sanctified it because on that day, God rested from all his work that he had created to be done. The. Uh, What's, what's added in, in the Gutnik is actually pretty cool. Um, for those who believe that uh, Sabbath no longer applies because it's not repeated in the apostolic writings and you know even if it was part of the Ten Commandments, we only really have to do nine and stuff like that. Um, besides that being a completely bogus argument, let's remember that the Ten Commandments have nothing whatsoever to do with keeping Shabbat. That Shabbat... This Shabbat, which we keep, which we are commanded to keep, has at least two purposes. One, that we would remember that He rested. He set this day apart, that seventh day, forever. And second, it reminds us of that redemption from Egypt. Yes? A couple of comments about that. Um, the first being that all the other days and all the other work of creation He called good, but the Sabbath is the only day that he blessed. And so that's unique. The other thing that's interesting is when you look at when you look at segments of time, right? We have years, we have months, we have weeks, we have days. Well you can you can calculate years, months, and days using the luminaries that he gave us for signs and seasons. Yes. But you cannot determine the Sabbath from the luminaries. Mm-hmm. So you can be on a desert island with no compass, no nothing, and you can you can figure out when a year's gone by, you can figure out when a month is gone by by the lunar cycle, you can figure out when a day has transpired, but you do not know which day is, is Sabbath unless you have unless you count them off. Unless you've been told. Which is why we don't know today, and I've actually had this conversation with a, a rabbi friend of ours, 
why we don't know for sure when the the Yovel, the Jubilee year is, because while we have, uh, while while God's people have kept the counting of the Shemitah, the seven-year sabbatical cycle, so we know which year begins the seven-year Shemitah. We don't know which Shemitah begins the Yovel because we have lost, at some point, we lost, we lost the count. Because it's a king's count. It's a, right. And so, um, and so that's, that's what's unique about the Sabbath. You only know it's the Sabbath because he told you it's the Sabbath and then you're counting it. I want you to consider uh, Abraham Herschel. 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 Um, if you haven't read his book on the Sabbath, you you've missed a, a gem. It's a tiny, teeny little book. Amazing. But he talks about God creating a sanctuary in time. He talks about God creating a special place in time. That place, Jerusalem, is a special place on the planet physically. But he also created before that a special place in time. And that's why when my wife lights Shabbat candles, we are entering in. We are choosing to enter into that sanctuary of time that he created in the very, very first week. It is so cool. And the neat part is, we get to enter in with him. I like that. Yes, sir. There's an interesting commentary in here. Uh, in my Abraham talking Joshua, about, actually, right? Uh, talking about uh, relating to the seventh day, why there's so much precision in when God stopped and said, okay, resting now. It's not, you know, around the end of the day, God said, okay, I'm going to rest now. It's on the seventh day. There's a lot of precision there. Specifically, okay, six days ended, seventh day, rest. Why the precision is important. And the idea is, it's because God kept working up until the very last moment. He made the absolute use of time. And so then, in the same way, it's easy for some generations when it looks like, especially before the land of Israel was in control of the Jews again, for them for generations to look and say, all these things that are happening to us, how can we ever achieve the things that our forefathers achieved at the height of Judaism and Israel and things like that? How can we ever compare to them? The idea is you shouldn't be discouraged just because you go, oh, we, we don't have that same majesty. You should keep working up until the very last moment, making the very use of time. Amen. And then the very last generation, that very last act before... Um, the ultimate Shabbat. Exactly. Before the ultimate Shabbat will be of such incredible importance. And because we don't know when that generation will be, every generation should act as though that's what's going to happen. Kind of repent the day before you That's right. Um, along the lines, of, and I'm glad you brought it up, talking about the seventh day, and knowing why we know it's the seventh day. First of all, we know that it's because he said it was. But how do we still know? And I heard a, I heard a well-known, some of you know, well-known Jewish leader, Messianic leader, actually make the statement that we really don't know what really is the seventh day going back to creation because in those days we counted we took a we took a month and we divided it by four and so and it didn't always work out so sometimes it was on the right day sometimes it was the wrong day so it's been lost to history of course this man raised in an orthodox jewish home should know 
that the reason that we know today is the Shabbat is because Jews have always kept the Shabbat. We would not know the Shabbat except that God gave us Jewish people to remind the world that today is Shabbat. Well, well, even if that had been lost from creation, hypothetically, you sure? Well, that too. But I mean, um, even gathering men in the desert, God says today you gather a double portion That's because right. tomorrow you will rest. Yeah. So, so regard, you know, point. It's, it's a it's a myth designed to Very confuse good. people into thinking I can pick any day, and well, this is as good a day as any. It's not any day; it's this day, and it's still this day. Or, or I would say it's more insidious than that. It's to try and convince us. You can't really know your God. Right. And he really doesn't interact with his creation. So we've got, counting from the beginning, they've always counted. Second, we know that God specifically told them, today's the day you're going to gather double, because tomorrow is Shabbat. Third, the Master. I mean, if there's anybody who we know for a fact kept Shabbat, because he was without sin, right? Right. Yeah. Well, then he kept Shabbat. So it was a counting problem. And you know what? He never stepped up when he was 13 and said, by the way, we're here on Thursday and I'm wondering what's up with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, just picking up where Rick left off, I mean, yet Israel has kept it and so, you know, very living marker of what day it is. But it was kept from Adam all the way down. I mean, so... That was, was my always, point of reading that. It started right, back then. It right. was before this. It was, there was always Zadikim that kept it all the way long before Israel even comes on the scene. I mean... <clears throat> Excuse me. But the other thing, too, is um, even pagan, total pagan cultures and societies mm-hmm. have always operated off a seven-day week. I think there's been one or two that tried to do... Romans like a, tried eight days. didn't work out. Right. Yeah. So Romans yeah. tried to do eight days. I think somebody else tried to do a ten-day week, and it, it didn't work. They, they ended up going back to what everybody else was doing, which was seven days. In just about any language, Saturday, except English, Saturday is not... Saturday. Sabato. It's Sabato, or some variation thereof, depending on whether you're doing French or Spanish or German. You know, it doesn't matter. They all have it. Yes. I had two thoughts real quick, and, and one of them was one of the popular <coughs> phrases that we say is that the Jews keep the Sabbath, but it was really the Sabbath that kept mm-hmm. or preserved mm-hmm. the Jews. Mm-hmm. And then another credence to what uh, Greg was saying just a moment ago is that when Yeshua returned and he was on the earth with his Talmudim for that period of time before he ascended a second time, he didn't say, guys, what, what, what are you doing? We're meeting on Sunday now. Did, didn't, get, didn't get the memo? You know, he, he, there, there was no point during that time that he was with us that, that anything had changed. Good. Good point, yes. Another interesting thing is that paganism actually kind of takes us back to truth in this regard because the, the names of the days of the week come from Roman origin. Saturday is in reference Saturn. to Saturn and to the god Kronos, who is the god of time. There it is. Good, good. Let's see. Yeshua himself declared that he is the Lord of the, the Sabbath. And that in itself goes to show that because he was being judged in contradiction to the Sabbath rather than saying yes he, he goes on to say no no see if anybody understands that's right I made this I, day I made it and I am the Lord amen the amen there's one other way that we know that today is Shabbat 
Yeah. We killed a member of the family because he chose the wrong day. <laughs> Number to work. 15. That worked. That's true. Hey, capital punishment in a public setting is a great deterrent to crime. <laughs> Amen. I'll be in town all week. I'm going to be... Yeah. That's right, yeah. I was just thinking about the idea of keeping the Sabbath as Hashem keeps the Sabbath. Again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about Adam naming the animals like God. God created man in his image. God made us to act like him. Amen. And one of the deceptions that Eve falls prey to, moving ahead a little bit in chapter 3, is she looks at the... She looks at the um, the fruit, and she says it's, it's. She sees it as something to become wise. And one of the tragedies of the whole chapter three story is that everything that either the serpent deceived her with or that she <coughs> the fruit as as being was a. Um, she already had. The serpent says, "You'll be like God." God made her in His image. God made her to act and behave just like He did. You know, she looks at the tree and oh, it's beautiful and pleasant to the eyes. But she's standing in the Garden of Eden, surrounded by all these beautiful things. It's good to eat. God made every fruit tree just for them, including the tree of life. And this is what ultimately ends up happening for us with sin. God puts us in a place where He gives us the ultimate blessing, and that's to be like Him. But what we end up doing is we substitute that true um, blessing for the counterfeit that we create that's right. that ultimately leads to death. And we believe the lie. Or, I would add to it, that when Yeshua was tempted, those temptations were basically repeats of what, of what you know, right. what the, the, the snake said to Chavah. They were all things that Messiah is going to have. You know, so, so it's not so much that it's bad, it was the timings. So, so even when it's not a counterfeit, it's just you have to be patient for it. Good. So that's good. Good. Okay. We're, yes. Uh, and the master himself said in Matthew 24 that he was telling Dean to keep the Sabbath. That's right. Amen. Pray that this doesn't happen on the, the Sabbath exactly. or those who are nursing children. Exactly right. Okay. I'd like us to uh, kind of fast forward through this great, great comments. Um, verse uh, 8 of chapter 3 chapter 3 verse 8 they heard the sound of God almighty God walking in the garden in the direction which the sun sets every day. The man and his wife hid from God, Almighty God, among the trees of the garden. Chapter 3, verse 8. Sounds like right? the Three. Rhonda, you got that really weird look on your face. I know. Yeah. It's a backwards yeah. book. Yeah. No, it starts with chapter 9. <laughs> Is it upside down? No, it's, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> I had a Bible one time and I This is it. of the devil! <laughs> <laughs> she's telling me, I'm like, oh no, she's wrong. <laughs> okay. Um, interesting. Cool. It's a communist plot. And, uh, <laughs> if, you will, if you will leave that here, I'd be happy to return that to art school for you and get you another one. Um, right. And we may actually have another one that you can take home with you so that you can study. But here's one that you can borrow right now. <laughs> So they heard the sound of God walking in the garden. How can this be? Rambam says that 
God is without form. He has no physical mm-hmm. sense to him. So what's the deal? Is well, this just an anthropomorphism? It had to be Messiah. It had to be Messiah. Actually, the Hebrew says they heard the voice of God walking. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's back at the mountain, right, Ramez? That's cool. Right? They saw his voice. Here they're hearing his voice walk. What's the voice? Wow, who is the... Uh, oh, yeah. That'll, that'll, that'll preach. So... And uh, in the psalm we read earlier, too, the, the voice of God convulses the wilderness. You see all of the majestic power employed by the voice of God. And what is it that created? But his voice, right? He spoke. I'm thinking of the story when Yeshua was baptized and the voice we the of voice. came down and said, Behold my son in whom I'm well pleased. Yeah, the voice again. How voice up here and come down here. Okay, well now you're now you're we're looking at the fact that God does exist. And yet we know that Yeshua was fully man while still fully God. So it's not a problem that he appears to pray to God. He he expects everyone else to pray to God. He baptized, the voice comes out. It's not a problem. Because God does still exist, even as Yeshua became a man. What happened to the universe being held together while Yeshua was being nursed? Right? Is he still God? Yeah, he's still God. That's that's the mystery that you know it's, it's, it's just hard to put into words. That's why a lot of people say, "Oh, see, two gods." Well, no, and he warned us ahead of time. So, good. All right, we uh, we have a little problem. Can you tell me, in your own words, if you were in the garden and you were given just one instruction. How long would it take? <laughs> one prohibition. One, one thing you can't do. Much less than Unbelievable. The guy's got the best looking girl on the planet. <laughs> the only girl. <laughs> <laughs> she was a babe. He speaks every language known to man. <laughs> God's language. Well, every animal comes before him that does what he said. It's unbelievable. The guy's got it made. So. Yeah. He's barbecue, like he, oh, yeah. He, and he's going to live a really long time. Climate control. I mean, perfect. The bottom line is, there is no temptation that has taken man, but as such as is common to you and me. And we would have fallen because... You've been given specific instructions as well, and you did too. But you still have a choice. Still get the choice to obey or not obey. The point is, we blow it. Now, if you want a summarization of the entire Bible, just put this to memory. God made us. We blew it. He fixed it. Amen. There it is. So He made us. Creation's important. He gave us a law, and we violated it, therefore damaging, being put out of the garden. 
separated from his presence, his physical presence. And now there's got to be a fix. And that fix can only come from God. We see right here in the Scriptures that the covering of their naked bodies came from God. God covered them with animal skins. Hmm, wait a second. Rick just told us that there was no death until sin came into the world because he was quoting Shaul. And we got some skins here. Where did these skins come from? My goodness. A dead animal. It's reminiscent of Yom Kippur. Yeah, it's also reminiscent of every time we've got a sacrifice every single day. God has to Blood was shed for these two. Even back then. Protection from him between us now. There is a covering, no question. Covering. Could we possibly see this then as maybe a um, a bit of an explanation for that in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die? Mm. Uh, and that, yes, they died spiritually. Yes, they were then condemned to die physically, mm. which they would not have had otherwise. But at the same time... Which they did die physically in the day. Yes. Cut off from the presence of God. If the animals... I don't know how many, but application possibly at least two. Um, animals dying in that day at that moment, um, almost it does kind of almost bring back this idea of like an atonement. Like yes. they died for you. Yes. You should have died, but they died, died in instead. Yeah. Now, long like term, it. you're like still going to die. That's right. You sinned. That's but right. in the short term, this covers you. We see this in the temple system too. They brought the animals not to save them for eternity, right. but to let them in, interact with God in that day. That's right. Good. Without Excellent. dying. Without dying. Without dying. Yeah. That's right. Well, that, that was one of the questions that I had as I was reading through it because one of the things that, that came up is that it says that um, Chavas, when speaking to the serpent, said that on that day you will surely die. So, and we saw them, okay, well. You know, yeah, they were they fell from grace, as you know, popular vernacular puts it, and and um, you know they were clothed in animal skin, and they they had the curses of the land, and you know pain and childbirth and everything like that. But they walked out. They didn't. So we physically. Got, so, so we just answered. Die. Yeah. Cool. So that was kind of a yeah. conundrum. But to pick up on a comment that Johnny made a few minutes ago, there is an illusion here that this event happens that would, would be. Uh, you know, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, yes. and 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 the reason for that is in verse eight, we we see they heard the voice, the call of uh, Adonai walking in the in the garden, uh, and were were you know, there's an allusion there to uh, we're commanded to hear the voice of the shofar, which mm-hmm. is like right. a yes. it's it's like a. Um, uh, it's a symbolic of hearing the voice of God. Okay, and it says before you get there, it says that they were naked and they had um, after they ate and they realized they were naked. It says they sewed fig leaves to cover themselves right, because they were ashamed. And figs, um, you know, figs blossom in the land at certain times of the year, and that would normally be late summer, early fall, which you know. Kind of Shoshana-ish. exactly. So then you see them. You see this allusion to the to the voice calling, you know, Sound of which is the, the shofar calling you. Okay, and then it says that, um, and then it says, you know, God calls out, and says, "Where are you?" Is to say, you know, where's your heart, and what's going on here, and um, 
and and then we see that God performs the first blood sacrifice God for, for a covering. So there's an illusion that connects this event to the season, the festival season that we just went through in the last 30 days. Yes. So. I've already melted It is. It's very cool. It's a picture of God's style, basically, as it were. It's, it's a well, picture, we constantly of, see those exact, repetitions, exactly. right? Throughout. Throughout. Good. Well, I want you to recognize that as you read this story, you should see the end. In the beginning, you should see the end. You see them together with God, perfect harmony in the garden. And what's the end? We're together with Him again. With that tree of life right there providing healing for the nations and the river of life coming out from under the throne, it's right there. He brings it right back full circle. He made us. We blew it. He fixed it. And we can be there. Amen. What you're saying, the beginning and the end, that we not lose sight of the now. That God doesn't want us to wait till the end to walk in what He called us to in the beginning. My greatest sadness, as I'm hearing us all speak, is that I wouldn't understand how severe it is to disobey God. So much that the first animals were killed. And since then, billions of animals were killed on behalf of our people so that we could stand before God. And taking it even further, the one who was without sin became sin so that we could have not just life today before God, but in the world to come. And that more abundant. Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, my, my desire is that as we go back then, as we're coming to the end of this parashat, that we go back to the beginning again and say, in the beginning, God brought forth, called forth, created light. There was, he's, he said, there was light and there was light. <laughs> and that we realize that, that that whole picture, you know, Jonathan, I think, was bringing it up, and Joshua, and I think all of us were hitting that on different points, that, that we had everything, different comments. We, it was perfect. There was nothing to add or nothing that we wanted more, but the great deception is that there is more. Well, there isn't more than God. Mm. There isn't more than His light. And if you look at the tree of knowledge of evil and good, if you look at that word knowledge, is referencing to having a oneness with. It's not just the head knowledge. Is that when you eat of that fruit, guess what? You become one with it. And as people who've been created in His image and likeness, we were not created to have good and bad we can't become one with good and bad. We either are one with bad or one, we're one with good, and that is the great deception. Either you will love the one and hate the other, or you will despise the one. Right? Or we're a liar, and this is what it says. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Yeshua, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. 
And then we just read from uh, the apostolic portion today that the end and this journey is supposed to remind us that if we were meant to abide in light and be in light and follow him who is the light, that we should remain in that, not flip-flop back and forth when it's convenient. That was a very deception to Hava, that she saw that the fruit was what? Pleasant to the eyes, good for food, and good for obtaining wisdom. But it's like, wait, wait, wait. There's nothing good or better beyond what already is godly, goodly, and God, and good. And so, you know, I think it's so important for us to not fall into that great deception and allow it to realize that that rebellion, that disobedience of God has caused the life of many innocent animals. Ultimately, the innocent, faultless man, sinless man on our behalf. And that it is his desire that we don't fall into that same thing. Yes, I just did my prayers. Yes, I just read the portion and I'm getting ready for Shabbat. But now I'm going to go and pursue that which is pleasant to the eyes, which is good for food, physically, emotionally, or spiritually, which is opposite of God, which he said, do not eat. And that which will create some puffy wisdom just that is opposite to the matzah bread and is comparable to the bread of leaven. And if I may just remind us of the words of Revelation that we read today. It says, Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Not a mixture, one or the other. Amen. The the concept that we should be so heavenly minded that we know we're good is just a lie. We should be practicing what he said, what he taught us. And in the end, it'll be the way it was at the beginning. And that's, there's something really beautiful with the curses, actually, that God gives on on the, the snake and on Eve and uh, on, on man as well. Um, basically, the curse on man is now you have to work the land, so you have to sweat for it. And then for Chava, now you're going to have to bear children in, in pain. And I believe it's Rabbi Akiva used the, these curses to explain why... Um, why the evil uh, you know, people in this world have it so easy because the snake's curse was that uh, he will crawl on his belly and eat the dust of the land which basically when you think about it I mean dust that's almost like saying you'll, you'll never really have to try hard to get your food it's all over the place it, it might not be you know a exquisite diet but you you don't you don't have to strive for it but man and uh, and you know the Believers have an effort and have have that experience pain. They experience trusting in God and having that idea. It's not the end goal. It's, it's what you do every day and, and trusting on God. But it's worth the wicked. They they have it set. They, they don't have to rely on God for really anything. Good. Yes. I was just uh, reminded by uh, what Joshua was sharing is uh, that we always in this in this portion we're ever reminded of the terrible price of sin. In the fact that Hashem Himself it, uh, is had to step in and, and make intercession for us to become that intercessor, and we talked a little bit earlier about the Book of Job, where it talks about and uses this phrase in the KJV of, of a daysman, someone who could stand in and bridge the gap, and we see that spoken of in the prophets, and then Isaiah tells us, and he saw, and there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness would sustain him. 
Amen. So we have to, I mean, then the apostolic writings tell us that, that if we sin willfully, there remains no more sacrifice for sin, but it's still we're trying <coughs> over the blood of the Son of God. When we sin. Good. So, All right, Dan. Yes. Hello. The last there was a there was a, there's a there's a there's a false teaching drawn from Paul's teachings where he says that until the law came there was no offense. And and it's often told that way, and we see it being borne out here as well, where it says, and uh, after they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then they were ashamed and they covered themselves because they were naked. And 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 the way that Judaism explains it is there was a change. That it wasn't simply a change in the mind. Of, oh, I didn't know I was naked. Now, which is a common excuse. Well, if I don't know that it's wrong, then it's not wrong, right? And ignorance is not an excuse. Well, if Judaism explains that there was a change, that they that they knew they were naked because before they couldn't see that they were naked. Not, it wasn't a change in the mind. It was a change. It was a physiological thing. No longer clothed with light. Now they were actually could see. We have no clothes on. Right. Amen. Okay. And. Uh, Quickly, yeah, last comment. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head. I guess the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent's seed. And you, seed of the serpent, shall bruise him on the heel. Now, I wonder if, you know, we read of the suffering servant, Yeshua, in Isaiah 53, it says in verse 10, it pleased the Lord to crush him. If the reason that the serpent bruises him on the heel. That's not the death blow. Right. The death blow is reserved for the Father himself mm. on the seat of the woman who is Yeshua. And that is the price, ultimate price, is that our transgressions the penalty fell on him by his own Father. Mm. We see that in the Akeda as well. The Father and the Son picture there, picturing the cross. Yeah. So that's the sum of Alright, I'm going to move us forward and close this out at the back end of this, because I know there's somebody here, and I have no idea who, but somebody is going to have to tell me the cool Hebrew that has to do with all these guys who finally died, and that whole Methuselah thing, and Noah and all of that. I'm in chapter 5 in the account of Adam's offspring. And I want to encourage you to try and either sound out or get a chumash that actually tries to give you these men's names in the Hebrew, um, because we really do sound like like Gentiles when we call these guys what we do. Um, it's Enosh, by the way. It's Chanoch. It's Yared. It's Mahalalel. Kenan. Matushalach. These are the names of this first series of people. I've heard some people give me some incredible Hebrew about all of these guys' names in all these generations. And if you if you just kind of slam all the names together, you know it's it's something like the whole gospel message in in one chapter. So who can give me something having to do with that and, and give me something? Cool. <laughs> Go ahead, man. Josh, it was a long time ago. I can't remember. Somebody's got to do it. Come on.
Can you do it? I've heard it, but I don't remember. Up. I don't remember. Give me, that. give me the, give me the high level, so that people okay. can just well, go. Name, wow, name that's the names. Really cool. Name the names. What's the first one? Man. 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 Set. What's it mean? Compensated. Yeah, see, we're not going to be able to do it. But the, you know, the, it, it'll take us too long to go through it. But the concept being that the names shoved together give you the sentence about God messed up and God fixed it and his death. Thank you. Man messed up, God fixed it, and his death will bring, and then you get to Noah, which is rest. Um, it is, it's just an incredible thing. So I would encourage you to try and find somebody who's got that laid out. Is, uh, his death shall send, I think literally, shalach. Um, but thinking about that as, I think, the, the, uh, the tradition or the actual states, I think, actually lined up so that his death really is the presence of the blood. Yeah. I think the sages yes. teach. Right? I've heard no, that's, that's, that's it. That's it. No, no, no. no that, uh, the, uh, I've heard somewhere that um, we see God's great mercy in this because Matushalach is the longest living man. That's right. So his death is when God sends judgment, but he lives longer than anybody else. That's did. right. That's right. The long suffering is there. When Matushalach dies, Noah is in the ark. It's not a boat, by the way. You can steer a boat, you can't steer an ark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Matt Kumash says that Noah died in 2006. That wasn't that long ago. How cool is that? Thank you, Pete. And Abraham was born in 1946. Yeah, there. All right. Let's uh, let's call it a day. It is uh, final comments, sir. Final. Uh, uh, I got two final comments. It's two fifty. I'm going to be done in three minutes. Going what you said about the beginning and the end and everything. If you go through the first seven days, as you see, even the names kind of repeat it. All of Scripture repeats it. In all of creation, every single aspect, and the three words that came to mind just a little ago, is if you look at what God calls good, what He blesses throughout creation, and what He sets apart, sanctifies, all of those seven days and what is talked about and what he calls good, blessed, very good, and holy is to cause all of us to remember um, his creation declares and his creation prepares. And we should really, you know, go back and look throughout Scripture. You will find every part of creation that he calls good, blessed, or sanctified as a part of his redemptive plan that points us to Yeshua in what the beginning will be fulfilled in its end as just part of remembering, declaring, and preparing for what he said from the beginning was good, blessed, and holy. Um, Just one comment, Genesis 6.3 says, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh, nevertheless... His days shall be 120 years. Okay. Um, A couple understandings of that verse. One understanding, more of the Peshat level, is that when God looked down and saw the wickedness of mankind at that point, he said, all right, 120 years from now, I'm taking them out, right? And and 120 years later, the flood flood comes. There's also a, a deeper understanding 
because it says man shall not strive with man, and of course man meaning mankind, Adam, right, forever. So the deeper understanding is, or you know, how do we understand the, that the deeper understanding? Because obviously today we we don't typically live to be 120 years old, right? Most people are happy to get you know 75 to 80, or you know we're feeling good, right? Um, so you can't take it literally, but there's a there's a drosh that says. Um, that mankind, again, going looking at this bigger picture of the redemption of mankind, would take 120 years. Meaning, and it's in the in the the understanding is it was 120 Yovel years, or uh, if a if if uh, uh, if 120 Yovels and Yovel is every 50 years, yeah. 6,000 years of history. So it ties back to the whole. Oh, that's cool. 50 times 120. Good. There's a. In, the more we learn, the more interesting conversations we're bound to have with other believers and studiers of the word. And it, you know, when you hear someone say that there's nothing applicable from the Old Testament to our lives beyond the first three chapters of Genesis, I want to encourage you to know how to put them in their place and to prove to them the promises that were given to Abraham. I mean, just. Even from uh, Adam and Chava, um, everything that, how everything points to Messiah and and just, you know, how he is the, the word itself and that you can't just pick and choose what you want. It, it is his standard for us and to be able to adequately convey that in season and out of season at all times. When you were done encouraging, yeah. would you close us in prayer? I'd love to. Thank you. Genesis 5, verse 3. Very important. Um, that we were made in Adam's likeness and in his image. So as we're talking about made in the image of God, we have to remember that after the fall, we're made in the image of Adam. That means we were conceived in iniquity. Um, we were not made from the dust of the earth. There's something very important about that to understand the gospel which is that we have spiritual death and unless we are born again we cannot seek God um, we have to be granted life from him first to be born again and I think that verse Genesis 5 verse 3 helps us understand that we can't just casually say well we're like Adam in the garden and then just proceed to describe who we are who God is and what the gospel is unless we take into account the fallen nature that we inherit from Adam who Again, it was made from the dust of the earth, and we were not. So that's very important. I just want to point that out. And uh, to close us in prayer. Father God, we do thank you for the good news of your son, Yeshua HaMashiach. We thank you that um, an exchange has been made, the just who is Yeshua, for the unjust. Those conceived in iniquity, all of us, uh, have gone astray. Um, we want to tell you who you are. We, um, from birth, do not seek you unless you first seek us and draw us to yourself. We praise you that you provided in your Son the perfect atonement and that we see in the Torah from the earliest pages um, you, all of you, your plan of redemption that uh, atonement must be provided from you, not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. We praise you for grace through faith. We praise you for your word. Uh, we ask, Father, that this week as we leave here that these 
conversations we've had, these things we've learned from your word would burn within us and they would come out of our mouths, that we would represent you and sanctify your name wherever we go, that even as we obey your vote, empowered by your Holy Spirit, that we would speak the word of the cross and the perfect atonement in your son Yeshua, who perfected forever to the uttermost those who are being sanctified. Continue to sanctify us in Yeshua's name. Amen. 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 I want to encourage you that now... Your sitter has changed. You're not reading this stuff in the gray boxes anymore. You've got some different stuff going on. So as you're praying through the week, you should now be looking forward to the next biblical festival, which is? Hanukkah. And there are some that would say, you know what? It's not part of the Torah, therefore we shouldn't keep it. Maybe you're a Karite. I don't know. But the bottom line is that Hanukkah is a great learning opportunity. It's also a great time of rejoicing, and it's all about light. And we just read about the light. Don't miss the light. It's coming up. And you may be of the ilk that believes that we should follow in the steps of Yeshua, the Messiah. I happen to be one that believes that we should do what he did. He kept Hanukkah. So, we'll, uh, we'll get some stuff on the calendar. Hopefully I'll get invited all over everybody's house. Eight days long. We'll end up, maybe we'll end up here. Maybe we'll end up someplace else. But we'll celebrate. And we will celebrate the light of the world. Amen? Amen. Amen.